Luke chapter 12 is where we're going to be, and I, I really enjoyed the program. I just want to say the kiddos did a great job, and I'm thankful for it. I was impressed by the way they sang out, and uh, it's always good to hear kids sing out and sing on pitch and be excited about the songs, appreciate the hard work. Uh, there are a lot of things about this time of year that I love. I love uh, the Christmas programs like this. I love Christmas songs. Um, I love the time that you get with family. I love all the Christmas traditions. Um, it really brings out nostalgia in me. I don't know if it does that for you, um, but the older I get and the older my kids get, it's the same thing. I just get nostalgic. One thing, though, that I will admit, I'm not nostalgic about, uh, nor do I uh, have deep feelings for, in a positive way, is the Christmas gift focus. I don't know about you, I mean, and I'm not even just being spiritual, okay? I'm being practical. Um, there's such stress connected with buying and giving gifts, isn't there? I mean, and, and the pressure starts early on, and it's stressful to know what someone wants. That's the first stress. Even when you decide on a gift, finding it can be stressful. And if you wait too long to order online, you might not get it till spring break. And so uh, that's an issue as well. You know, I love to give gifts. I especially love to give gifts to my children and uh, watch them open their gifts. But I can't tell you how many times, just for perspective, how many times that I, we've, given, we've given gifts to our children and they act like it's the greatest thing they've ever opened in their life. And they play with it on Christmas Day and then never touch it again. You ever seen that happen? Maybe that happened to you. Or this happens in our house sometimes too. They break it day one. I mean, I don't know if that's happened to you. It happens to us. See, the truth is, the reason I bring that up is most Christmas gifts are not part of our lives even one month after Christmas. And so here we are fretting and stressing over something that is very temporary. And that's something that I don't necessarily love about Christmas, not even making it spiritual, but it does become a spiritual truth as we come to Luke chapter 12. And again, I want to keep this simple tonight. Jesus is giving um, a lesson about the temporary nature of earthly treasure to a man. So in this, in this text, Jesus is preaching to a large multitude. He's talking to, I don't know, hundreds, maybe thousands of people. It was not rare for Jesus to preach to thousands of people. And he's talking to them about big subjects. He's talking to them about things like life and death. He's talking to them, to them about things like being a hypocrite. If you're a genuine Christian, be genuine. He's talking to them about how to plan for eternity. I mean, these are big ideas, right? He's talking about big things. And, and then he, as we come up right up to verse 13, he's talking about how we fear God. And if we fear God, then we don't have a reason to fear anything else. Now, these are very serious and weighty matters. They're important matters and out of the blue, okay, some random guy pushes his way to the front of the crowd and he asks a question that is out of the blue. It's not related at all to anything Jesus is talking about. Again, I just mentioned he's talking about weighty matters, life and death, eternity, uh, how to fear God. And, and this guy pushes his way to the front and look at verse 13, Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Look at the question that he asks. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. So this is what you might call a rando. Somebody that is just random. I mean, out of the blue. Maybe you know people like that. 
how, you know, you're having one conversation over here with everybody and there's one outlier over here and they ask a question that has nothing to do with the conversation. Uh, maybe you've got a random person, a rando next to you right now. Go ahead and look at them. Make them feel weird about it. It's okay. You know, and, and so this guy pushes his way to the front and he says, Master, Master, hey, um, can you help me out? Help make my brother divide our inheritance with me. That's, that's a random statement. It's this huge crowd. They're talking about weighty matters. And this guy doesn't read the room. He's so self-focused on his problem. It becomes all about what he wants and all about what his problem is. And obviously, I'm not, not trying to uh, diminish his issue. His father had died, obviously. Um, he's having some kind of a problem with his brother. Um, they're having a family issue. Um, it seems like bitterness has set in. But it, here's the irony. As he stood in the presence of God, his mind was on earthly treasure. As he stood in the presence of God, his mind was on earthly treasure. Look at verse 14. And he said, Jesus, Jesus, and he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? You know what Jesus is saying there? He's saying, I'm not here to settle your differences. I came for bigger reasons than that. I'm not your judge. I'm not here to, I'm not Judge Judy. You know, I'm not going to settle your accounts and your affairs in court. No, I came to bring eternal life to people that are spiritually dead. That's why I'm here. Verse 15, he says this. Uh, he turns this man's question into a lesson. And he said unto them, take heed... And beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Now this is a really interesting. I'm going to stop and pray just for a moment and ask you, to, there's some distractions, some, some, some noise, and just ask that God would help us to be tuned in here. Father, I'm asking for your help and just pray that you'd help us to be focused here tonight. And uh, that this truth would be a help to those hearing. God, we need you this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, verse 15, it says this, And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. So he takes this issue that this man is having and he turns it into a life lesson, okay? Um, to covet, he says, covetousness. To covet is to desire to get more out of something that you already have enough of, okay? So to covet, again, I'm going to say that one more time. To covet is to desire something in life that you already have enough of. It's kind of like the issue in the, in the let's say we're in the nursery, okay? That's where real church drama takes place, right? And let's say that there's one child, and that child has a whole pile of toys. And, there's, and he's got all that he needs but there's one other child over in the corner with one toy. And you know what the child with all the toys wants to do? He wants to go take the one toy from the child with one toy so that he has all of it. He's got plenty to play with, but because he's got built-in covetousness, which we all have, by the way, it's one of those Ten Commandments that we don't think about very much. It's we want something, we want more of something that we already have enough of. And to covet is an issue that Jesus deals with. And he basically calls out this man and says, you have an issue with covetousness. He says, that's no way to live. Earthly things are temporary. So why would you live for them? 
See, the problem is we get the opposite message all the time, don't we? We get the opposite message. We've got ads and commercials and pop-ups and billboards. And everywhere you look, you get this message. You need more to be happy. There is treasure to be had. And if you'll have more treasure, you can be happy. But listen, it's just a carrot on a stick. You know what I mean by that? It's a carrot on a stick, like in front of an animal that they're trying to lead. We chase the carrot, but we never catch it because temporary treasure cannot satisfy us. We're chasing temporary treasure, and it leads us to places where it can't actually do for us what we want it to. See, Jesus says covetousness makes you think happiness is connected with the things you have, but it's not. And then he gives a parable of a rich man. And I'm just going to read this parable and then give you some, uh, a story about it. Verse 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? So imagine this rich man. He's got all kinds of wealth. His, his crops are succeeding. Verse 17. He thought within himself, saying, What shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? I've got so much, I've got to figure out what to do with it. Verse 18, and he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. So he says, I'm going to build bigger buildings to store all of my stuff. I have so much stuff, I've got to store it. That's an American problem, isn't it? I mean, right up the road, we have a storage facility up here. People need storage facilities for all their extra stuff. Right next to it, guess what's coming in? Another storage facility. I mean, there's just, we've got so much stuff. That's this guy's issue. He's got so much that he wants to build the biggest barns. He wants to have the most impressive property. Verse 19, it says this, And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. See, he's got a mindset that he thinks, if I can get bigger barns, I can sit back and enjoy life in peace. He wants peace. You know what? Everyone wants peace. We all want peace. We all want rest. We all maybe, I don't know if all of us want to, we want to retire early. We want to be comfortable. We want to just live life. And, but listen, you will not find peace in temporary things. That's, what the, that's the message. I'd like to read this account in a story form by a man named Haddon Robinson. Maybe you've heard of him. Um, he, he, if you'll forgive me for reading this, um, I think it'll help us here to hone in on the truth. It's about a rich man, very much like this man. It's based on this story. And he's trying to get peace with temporary treasures. So listen as I read this story. Imagine a rich man sitting at his desk one evening. And across the desk is a town architect. So just pay attention. Imagine this. They have sprawled out in front of them the blueprints. And the rich man says to the architect, now listen, there's a time when I had the best farm in the whole community. I had the best farm in the entire Jordan Valley. And I want to have a model farm so that they'll know throughout all of Israel the two men work and plan into the night, and eventually the rich man's wife comes in. She urges him to come to bed and then kisses him goodnight, but the two men go on until the clock strikes 11. Finally, the architect says, I've been out, of, I've been out almost every night this week. I've just got to go get home. I'll take these plans and work them over. He rolls up the plans. He goes to the door, and the rich man sees him out. The rich man bolts the door. But the adrenaline is flowing. 
He can't sleep, so he goes back to his desk. He takes out his pen, and he continues his plans. He's still making his plans when he's startled by a knock at the door. He's about to open it, but he discovers to his astonishment that there's a presence already in the room. The rich man says, who are you? The presence says, I'm deaf. The rich man says, deaf? What do you want? Death says, I've come for you. The rich man says, no, I, I mean, there's, there's some mistake. You did not tell me you were coming. And death says, oh, yes, I've told you. I just didn't, don't think that you were listening. I, I told you when I took that young man down the street a few months ago. I told you when I took your business partner a year ago. I told you every time you opened the newspaper and saw an obituary column. I told you every time you saw a cemetery. Listen, I've told you. But whether you heard or not, 10, 9, 8, 7. The rich man says, wait, 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 look, we can make a bargain. You can have half of everything I've collected. You can have half of my barns, half of my money, half of my farm, just let me live. And death says, what do I have to do with that? What do things mean to me? Six, five, four. The rich man says, wait, you can have it all. It's yours. Take it. Let me start again at the beginning. I'm just not ready for you. But death, with a grin, waves his hand, and the rich man enters eternity. The next morning, his wife comes down and finds her husband slumped across the desk. She tries to wake him and discovers he's gone. A day later, all the people in the community gather and they have the eulogy and talk about him as a model in the community and they talk about his success, they talk about his contributions. After all, he built the biggest barns in the community and they take him out to a cemetery and over his grave they put a large stone. On that stone is a, is a word or a verse from the Bible. There's something from the poet's and a statement that he was noble, he was successful, he was visionary, he was progressive. Then the crowd goes home. And that night the angel of God walked through that cemetery. And over all that they had engraved on the stone, the angel of God wrote one word. Fool. You see, the rich man prepared for all the contingencies... But he ignored life's one inevitability, which is death. And we, like the rich man, spend so much time on the temporal that we fail to prepare for the eternal. See, here's the problem, and this is the, if, if you hit nothing else tonight, here's the problem that we have. The temporary things can't provide eternal solutions. Temporary things can't provide eternal solutions. There's no gift boxes in a casket. That man chased a carrot and he didn't give thought to eternity. And even if he was religious, it's possible to live as if there is no God. And if you do, God says that you're a fool. Look at verse 20. But God said unto him, 
thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? Listen, when we die, what he's saying there is when we die, we leave everything we have on earth, we leave behind. Everything that you've earned, everything that you've built, everything that you've grown, everything in your bank account, everything in your home, everything in your driveway, anything that you can touch and hold. We give our lives to it. We do everything we can to earn as much as we can. But when we die, the Bible says we leave it to somebody else. Whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? What, what God says to the fool is the biggest question on your mind is who are you going to give your stuff to? See, when we die, someone gets our stuff. We don't take it with us. So listen, here's the question. Why give your life to things you can't take into eternity? Temporary things can't provide eternal solutions. And you need something bigger than death to solve the problem of death. So what's bigger than death? Well, it's not a thing, it's a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. See, and we know that he is bigger than death because he conquered death. He rose from the dead. And if he rose from the dead, listen, if he rose from the dead, then he can provide eternal solutions for our problems. See, our biggest problem is sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says that as it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. And no matter how good we try to be, sin is our problem. And our sin puts us at odds with God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The consequence of sin is that now we've earned death. death we've earned God's judgment through our sin he is holy he is sinless we are not and we have earned death which means separation from God for eternity and the Bible says it's in a literal place called hell listen sin is our problem hell is our consequence we have broken God's law and we deserve to pay for our own sins but here's the problem our works are not enough For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So you may know, okay, sin is my problem, and the consequence of sin is hell. I'm going to just work harder, but the Bible says you can't. There are no temporary solutions to eternal problems, including your works. You can't fix something eternal with something temporal. Riches and stuff and success, none of it can erase our sin problem. So you say, well, that sounds like bad news, but it's good news. Ready? God sent a permanent solution to our eternal problem. His name is Jesus. Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God required a payment for sin that we could not provide ourselves. He sent his own son. And the Bible says in Romans 10, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, all God requires from you is to repent from your sin and turn in faith to God. 
Romans 6.23, for the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We've been talking about treasure. We've been talking about, you know, what's truly valuable in life. We're really the only truly valuable gift that anybody has ever given is Jesus Christ. It's eternally valuable and it's a gift from God to us when we couldn't earn it on our own. Listen, I just want to say it again. Temporary solutions can't solve eternal problems. Only Jesus can take you to heaven when you die. So trust Jesus Christ. Live for God. Live for the things that matter. Invest in the things that matter in eternity because the Bible says, here's the label God gives us. If we live for this temporary life, the Bible says we are fools. But if we live for eternity, it says in verse 21, we can be rich toward God. Do you want to be a fool or do you want to be rich toward God? I think all of us would say that. I'd rather be rich toward God. I'd rather have things that matter in eternity than God look at me and say, man, that was foolish. Listen, I don't know if you heard this news this week, but there's a baseball player from Japan, Shohei Otani, and he just signed a deal with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Get ready for this if you haven't heard. Ten-year deal, a ten-year contract worth $700 million. $70 million a year. He could live 10 lifetimes and never have to worry about money. And you know what we might do? We might look at somebody like that and be covetous. We might covet what he has and say, well, I wish I had that. He has treasure. But listen, when he dies, that money will mean nothing to him. And if he stands before God, I don't know his eternal condition. I'm not here to judge his eternal condition. I'm just here to tell you that he could have all the money and we could have all the money we could ever dream of. But if we stand before God having never known Jesus, then we'll spend eternity separated from God. And in that moment, all the treasure of earth will not matter at all. So it's time to shift our focus from temporary treasure to treasure that lasts. Your relationship with God through Jesus Christ is the only thing that truly matters in eternity. And tonight, I want to ask you to consider if you were to die, if you were like that man in our story and death came knocking at your door and said, tonight's the night, what would your response be? Are you prepared for that appointment with death? What I'd like to do tonight is just have every head bowed and every eye closed.